says that her 11-year-old daughter has been missing for over a year. I want you to take a look at this. My daughter Bethany is the most loving, affectionate person that I've ever met. She used to leave me notes telling me how much she loved me. She'd be sitting in school and just write them and bring them home for me. Um, she's got a smile that melts your heart. But a year ago, a year ago, March the 4th, somebody took her away from me. She was last seen at this is Johnny on the Montel Williams show, one year after Bethany's disappearance. I know there's somebody out there that knows where she is, and I'm hoping today somebody will see the program and make the call that's going to bring her home to us. And I just want her to know that I love her and she's missed. Please welcome Johnny to the show. Johnny, tell us a little bit about Bethany. Johnny proceeded to tell Montel in 2002 the same story that she has told me. Her story hasn't changed in 17 years. Had custody worked at a visitation center, but you also had a restraining order against him. Yes, I did. Um, so you couldn't physically be there no. for the drop-off and pickup of your child. No, I wasn't there. Okay, so this particular weekend he took uh, Bethany the way he normally should. Mm-hmm. Right? Had it for the weekend, and then on the day he's bringing her back. Um, on the day he's bringing her back, my sister and my brother-in-law went to the meeting place, mm-hmm. and um, my I called my sister at five, and, and she said he wasn't there. And later she called me back and said that she had finally gotten hold of him, and he said that um, she had wandered off in the mall and he couldn't find her, and at this time that they were they were looking for. Her. Montel does a good job in asking the right questions, the same questions that a national audience hearing Bethany's story for the first time might have. What, did he call the police at that moment? From the police report, my understanding is he first uh, got a hold of a security guard inside the mall, and they searched the mall for an hour, and then the, the, the police, the local police were contacted. He does such a good job with this interview, in my opinion, because he stops Johnny so he can get her to elaborate on certain details. Being on a national television show has to be nerve-wracking, to say the least. And I'm sure Johnny was wanting to get all the bullet points out there about Bethany's disappearance. But when Montel digs deeper, he uncovers some information that Johnny had even forgotten to tell me concerning a composite sketch and a school in East Tennessee. And then later on, people did a composite sketch of a woman that she was seen with. Three weeks after Bethany had come up missing, um, there was a woman in the composite that um, had been identified, and the little girl that was with her had been identified by several people in a private school. The woman was trying to place Bethany into the school system. Um, it didn't work because... Well, let's talk about that, the way she tried this. She walked in, and of course the person is in mission. I'm Brandon Barnett, and this is Searching for Ghosts, Season 2. Where is Bethany Markowski? In the July 18, 2001 edition of the Jackson Sun, quote, TBI agent Jack Van Hooser said the last solid leads in the case came in April when Bethany was allegedly spotted twice in East Tennessee. 
The first sighting occurred when a woman allegedly attempted to enroll Bethany in a school between Chattanooga and Knoxville in early April, said Van Hooser, who declined to be more specific. About three weeks later, three people said they saw Bethany with a woman in a restaurant about 20 miles north of Chattanooga, unquote. Five months later, law enforcement officials were still referencing the sightings as credible leads. In the December 13th edition of the Jackson Sun, quote, Investigators said since Bethany's disappearance, they have followed more than 500 leads nationwide. The best tip, however, originated from Cleveland, Tennessee, where three people at different locations reported seeing Bethany. I can safely say that this has been our best lead so far, said JPD Lieutenant Mike Holt, unquote. Here's Johnny in our initial interview. My sister Lori and her kids were in Kansas City, Missouri, visiting um, my other sister, and my mom and I were in Rector, Arkansas, visiting my sister, another sister, and we were on our way home, and it was just pouring down rain, and and I got a call from a TBI agent, and he was hollering and screaming and crying and, and saying, we got her, we got her. Scott and Valerie are, are heading to Moline, Illinois. They bought a bus ticket. We, we got her. You're going to have her back within eight hours. And so I came home, and... <clears throat> friend of mine, you know, Diane, me and her went to Party City or somewhere, and we bought all these welcome home banners, and sadly to stay, they're still in my shed, never been opened, but, you know, and I called Lori screaming and hollering, and she was sitting at Sonic, and she was trying to find a way home, and her husband Larry was still here, and so me and my mom get home, and Larry's got, you know, the map all laid out, because, you know, they told me I can't go there. And I can't see her or talk to her until they do what they need to do. That wasn't going to happen. Uh, actually, I think me and Lori took off heading for Moline and got lost. And we never got out of Nashville. <laughs> this was before GPS. This was before GPS. <laughs> so, yeah. The sightings were from multiple people on multiple days in Cleveland, Tennessee. Cleveland sits on Interstate 75 in East Tennessee between Chattanooga and Knoxville. The multiple sightings involved a woman with a young girl who purchased a bus ticket to Moline, Illinois. The woman and girl were spotted three days in a row in a cafe. Then, on the third day, took a cab to a bus station. Johnny explains. From what, from the story that I remember being told, this woman, disheveled woman, carrying, I think, a black garbage bag or something, and this little girl showed up in Moline, Illinois. and No, Cleveland, Tennessee. Uh, Cleveland, Tennessee, I'm sorry. At this, um, like a little cafe place, and um, they sat in the back and they just drank water. And the woman used the payphone, and then they would leave. And like I think it was the third day, the woman seemed visibly upset, and the little girl. And one of the things we never ever, I never put out there. I put out there that Bethany bit her fingernails, but I never really made it public that she twirled her hair. When she bit her fingernails, when she was nervous, she would twirl her hair. And uh, I think on the third third day, the waitress finally decided something just didn't feel right about the whole thing. The woman was upset and wanted to know uh, how to call a cab or what a cab number was, and the woman found it for her. She called a cab, and the cab came and picked them up, picked them both up. Um, Then I guess the, the girl called law enforcement, and showed pictures, and she picked Bethany out, and um, 
they talked to the cab driver and the cab driver said that uh yeah that you know that's what that's looks like the little girl and said that the woman was in the back seat um crying and upset and the little girl was looking out the window biting her nails twirling her hair and then they went to the bus station and the guy that sold them the ticket said yeah yeah that, that looks like a little girl i actually talked to him on the phone and he said you know i just thought she was like an overprotective mom or something you know at one point the little girl wanted a, a drink and and the, out of the drink machine it was just right there and the, the woman went with her he said he never felt like anything was wrong you know um and then the bus was supposed to be there at a time where when the bus station would already be closed so they were gonna have they locked the bus station up and had to go outside and sit and wait on the bus and had and i talked to this woman too um there was a woman and her son out there waiting on a bus which came before the bus for moline and the woman asked the little girl where are you going so the little girl just looked at the woman she was with and the woman said Disneyland or Disney World or something like that. And then they got on their bus. So there was nobody there that could tell if Bethany, if the girl and the woman had gotten on the bus or not. And that was the big tip that, you know, the, the call that we, we found or we got her and you're going to get her back in eight hours. And, and they landed and they weren't on the bus. And evidently, even though the woman purchased tickets for a trip to Moline, Illinois, she and the little girl didn't make it there. And, uh, if they did get on the bus, they got off at a different time, didn't make it, or they never got on the bus. And I do believe, I, I, I want to say they proved the tickets were never used. But I, but I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't remember. Um, so you had the waitress in the cafe, the cab driver, the guy who sold the bus tickets, and a woman waiting on a bus all identifying Bethany. That's a lot of people. So I decided to ask retired TBI agent Jack Van Hooser about the sheer volume of people who identified her. How credible do you feel that the sightings over in East Tennessee were? Brandon, as credible as any other sighting in a missing person, missing child case. Okay. Uh, would, would, I, would I bet the farm on it? Absolutely not. Right. In news reports in the beginning, I think they were reported a few months after they, they happened, uh, the way I read that the reason law enforcement was excited was the fact that there was so many in that concentrated area from different sources, which, you know, you don't get that every day, you know. Right, right. You don't get that every day. Uh, and that and that's, you're right. I mean, that's why law enforcement uh, reacted the way they did when those came in and immediately started shaking the bushes in that area. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, uh, Bethany, to, to the naked eye, had no real outstanding features. Yeah. She was an average, pretty, dark-haired little girl. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she didn't have one eye in the middle of the forehead, or she didn't have a prominent birthmark where she didn't have a tattoo like an older girl would, where you can say, yes, that was her. Yeah. But Johnny feels confident that it was Bethany, mainly because of the number of people involved. And I really believe in my heart that it was her because there was too many people in that town at um, at the um, cafe and then the cab driver and then the guy at the bus station that sold the ticket and then a woman outside. 
her and her son outside that had talked to him. You know, there was too many people that said, yes, that's the little girl. That's the little girl. And there is another reason that Johnny is confident that the Cleveland sightings are credible. So the disheveled woman arrived at the cafe three days in a row, right? Then she purchased bus tickets to Moline, Illinois that possibly never got used. And you may remember mentioning in a previous episode that Larry Markowski was a truck driver by trade. Here's Johnny again. I found out later that um, Larry Markowski was due in Cleveland, Tennessee, the first day that this woman and this little girl showed up in the cafe. And he didn't show up for two days. It was three days, actually, because uh, his truck had broken down. So on the day that he did show up was the day that the woman and the little girl bought a ticket to Moline, Illinois. And as far as I know, that they never got on the bus to go to Moline. I would love to know who this woman was calling from the payphone at the cafe. I'm constantly amazed at Johnny and Lori's memories from 17 years ago. Obviously, when something like this happens, certain things are etched in one's mind. But it was 17 years ago. And with the importance of the Moline incident, you can see where that might overshadow the attempted school enrollment. And since they happen within weeks of each other, they usually get mentioned together, not only by the media, but by Johnny as well. But are they connected? She kept showing up to this cafe three days in a row. Is that what got, got her on the radar of the waitress? Yes, and the fact that, and I found out later, Larry was supposed to be delivering there, his truck. And uh, he did actually show up on the third day and unload the day that the bus was supposed to have been there. And was she the woman that tried to start her in school? Yeah, there was another time where someone tried to start us about three months later. Oh. Is that supposedly the same woman? Because that they pair those together yeah, in the, in the I, news reports. I don't, I don't the know. school thing with the bus. Mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. So. And, and trying to put her, what, in a private Catholic school or something like something that? Something like yeah. that. And they wouldn't register because they said, you know, she she needs her school record. And she, the woman said her dad, her father would bring her back. Or never came back. You can hear in that initial interview that more emphasis was placed on the Moline story than the school story by Johnny. So I went back to try to suss out the details of these two incidents and how they might be related. The attempted school enrollment actually happened first, in April of 2001. And that was where the composite sketch came from. I'd always just assumed it came from the waitress at the cafe, since she saw the woman for three consecutive days. The Moline incident happened, according to Jack Van Hooser, just three weeks later. Reading from the July 18, 2001 edition of the Jackson Sun again, talking about the Moline incident, quote, While the people positively identified Bethany, they were not sure if the woman at the restaurant resembled the sketch of the woman who tried to enroll her in school, Van Hooser said. Johnny Markowski said she didn't have a clue about the woman's identity, unquote. We at Searching for Ghosts decided to try to pull up any arrest records and mugshots on Larry or any of his family members over the years. 
and there was one person who looked shockingly similar to the composite sketch. We found a mugshot on a Carol Markowski. Carol Markowski is Larry's sister-in-law, and even though the mugshot was taken some years after the sketch, the resemblance is uncanny. So uncanny that we asked Johnny about it. Johnny didn't know whether or not Carol had been questioned due to the sketch, so she asked law enforcement. So the sketch that's out there, that is the sketch of the woman that had tried to register the little girl in school. Uh, because of that sketch, they, uh, the law enforcement went and talked to um, Carol Markowski, which is um, Bobby, or Robert Markowski's wife, which at one point had lived in Cleveland, Tennessee. So this is new information that Johnny has learned since the start of this podcast. The age and height of Carol Markowski in 2001 is consistent with the sketch details. Her weight is unknown since we don't have a mugshot from 2001. The main difference in the description was that the sketch details indicated that the woman had dark eyes, where Carol has hazel eyes. It also bears mentioning that in more than one arrest report on Carol, her address is listed as homeless. Here's the information listed on a Poly Class Foundation flyer about the woman. We will have a side-by-side -side comparison of the sketch and Carol Markowski on our Facebook page. Quote, wanted for questioning. The suspect sketch to the left is of a female, age 42 to 44, between 5 foot 4 and 5 foot 5, and 185 pounds. She is described as having dirty blonde hair and dark eyes with dark circles around them. Witnesses say her hair was clean, but frizzy and damaged. She did not look bathed, had torn and incorrectly tied shoes. She appeared to be suffering from a hangover, unquote. This brings us back to Montel Williams. A few weeks ago, Johnny and Lori were going through old VHS tapes that contained media coverage of Bethany. Johnny had just recently learned that Carol Markowski, who was Bethany's aunt by marriage, was questioned because of the sketch. I got a text from an astonished Johnny, followed with a text that contained the audio from her Montel Williams appearance. I love getting material from around the time of an event. While circumstances can change, people's memories are fresh. That's why I rely so much on news articles from 2001. Well, Johnny was on the Montel Williams show just one year after Bethany disappeared. Remember what a good job I thought Montel did with that short interview? Because he slowed Johnny down and pushed her to dig deeper into that failed school enrollment? Well, here's why I'm impressed. He struck gold. And of course, the person who's admissions person of the school said, well, I need all of this child's paperwork yeah. and a birth certificate. I need this, 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 this. And the woman said... I don't have it. I'm her aunt. Her father has custody of it, of her, and he can bring her back, back and do this. Okay. And then she left. And she left. If you have any information about Bethany Markowski, no matter how small you think it is, call 1-800-THE-LOST. Hey guys, Brandon here. Want to support Searching for Ghosts and look cool doing it? Well, now you can, and just in time for Christmas. The SFG store is up and running. We have three designs to choose from, 
including the Galaxy shirt, for the nerd in all of us. We have multiple colors to choose from, t-shirts for men and women, and hoodies. I'll have the link in the show notes of this episode. You can also find the store at the top of the Searching for Ghosts Facebook page. Your support will help us keep SFG going. Thanks, guys. <laughs>